Good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Lineup Review Show. I'm Eric Lindquist. Excited to be alongside uh, my buddy Adam Scherer over there who just keeps winning every tournament under the sun. Doesn't matter if it's NBA, NHL, NFL. The guy just keeps talking about his wins, which is just pissing me off this morning. But anyway, Adam, how you doing, my dude? I'm good. Uh, yeah, uh, yesterday was, was was a pretty good day. So um, nice to – I did horribly in the stuff we're going to talk about, but um, ended up having a good day overall. So uh, excited to talk about what went wrong and what other people did better than me on the main slate. <laughs> yeah, uh, you. I, I believe it was the three max that you won the afternoon slate of because, of course, you did, and – you had cash lineups that were duped and they cashed because of course they did. Whereas me, I had the absolute pure nuts. I posted some of my exposures going into the afternoon just because I felt, you know, oh, I'm very excited about life. And then, oh boy, it could not have gotten possibly worse. I mean, Keenan Allen started off hot, didn't necessarily get there for the full slate. And then James Robinson, those were sad times, but we're going to get to all the ins and out here. We're going to start with the Millie Maker here today, but as we get going, as you start coming into the room here, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. All of that goes a long way for us here. And it also keeps you updated whenever we go live with any content here. I think that's what you guys are looking for. So let's get to it, shall we? Um, let's see. Jordan Klein, we're going to pull up the million maker here right off the bat because you guys want to see how somebody made a million bucks. Here is how somebody made a million bucks. Uh, N. Van Hare. Oh, excuse me. That's for the slant here. We're heading over to the million maker. P. Rez with a capital P, capital R, capital Z. P-Rez ended up putting up 226.24, which is actually less than the winner of the slant, which is fascinating to just talk about at the top because the slant obviously has much, much fewer entries than what the Millie Maker does. But this lineup here, as we're looking at it, P-Rez, Carson Wentz, Eli Mitchell, Michael Carter at 6%, uh, A.G. Brown, who just went nuts, Cooper Cup went nuts, Michael Pittman went nuts, P.J. Fr- uh, Fryer, or Pat Fryermuth, the Penn State tight end, uh, playing in Pennsylvania there. Uh, he's starting to come to fruition. And Chris Godwin, the chalkiest piece back there, uh, along with Seahawks defense. What do you think about that lineup, Adam? I think it's a really good lineup. I mean, it was guys that uh, I think projected well. They just looked like solid plays. I liked the Wentz-Pittman-Brown grouping. Um, I think that made a lot of sense. You know, Pittman was one of the most popular receivers, but I thought he was a really, really good option. Brown was popular, but also a strong option. Something that I've talked about before is I like getting to relatively cheap quarterbacks in situations like that where, you know, because again, not, not the quarterback doesn't matter, but um, quarterback can be pulled along by, you know, big receiver performances. So uh, I, I like sort of just using whatever quarterback fits with the skill positions that I really want to to get to. Uh, so I think Brown, Pittman, Wentz made a lot of sense. Uh, paying down at running back, to Mitchell and Carter, I thought made sense. Um, Mitchell projected well. It kind of scared me how well Mitchell was projecting and he started off horribly, but Mm -hmm. ended up getting there. Huge game from Michael Carter. Uh, Cup, I thought was fantastic. I was kind of surprised he was as low owned as he was yesterday. Not that he was contrarian, but like 14.6% in the Millie. Um, I I was kind of surprised there. Fryermuth made sense. It was a slate where I thought uh, pretty clearly you wanted to pay down at tight end. that, that changed a little bit when Ridley was was ruled out because it made Kyle Pitts look better. But there still wasn't a ton of really cheap receivers to go to or running backs to go to. So And, and there was this really wide range of tight ends, whether it be Fryermuth, Dan Arnold. There was a ton of guys roster construction-wise that made sense down there. So uh, using Fryermuth, I think, made sense. Godwin, I thought, you know, one of the better plays on the slate. And then just rounded out with a defense, and that defense happened to do well. Yeah, <laughs> with a defense and – uh, there were a number of defenses that had big six. There were a lot of crazy things happening here and there. 
Um, but that's the way the defense always works. Yeah. Plug in the defense that is available to you at the number 2,800 left over there. Uh, well done. This is a really, really nice lineup. Uh, Carson Wentz winning somebody a million dollars. Not what I expected when I woke up yesterday, but uh, there it is uh, on the top end. And, you know, we're going to look at one other par- uh, portion of this. I mean, I've, I've got it on my end. We don't need to necessarily pull it up on the screen there, but the most, uh, the highest rostered player, uh, Michael Pittman, 26.5%, Chris Godwin, at 24.6%, and then DeAndre Swift at 23.7%. Remember that number on DeAndre Swift, because as we make our transition over to the slant now, where you have much fewer entries, 26,143 total entries, as opposed to the Millie Maker, which is just a little over 200,000, we're seeing some massive ownership on DeAndre Swift, 40.2%. A sharper field is going to be reacting to late news, like Jamal Williams getting ruled out a little bit more than what you're going to get in the Millie Maker, which, you know, you get a lot of casuals, you get a lot of single entry bullets that, that are getting thrown in there, five entries, 10 entries, whatever people are doing on their Sunday for allotments. But what did you specifically think about the DeAndre Swift uh, play? Uh, I believe you were right around the field there at 43.3%. Yeah. So one thing for anybody watching, um, don't read much into my exposures here. I had a lineup See, I had a CSV issue. I, I still have no idea what actually went wrong with it, but um, like 100 of my 100 or like 120 of my 150 lineups got in and then 30 ended up being my cash lineup. My cash lineup had Swift. So I was playing a lot of Swift one way or the other, but my exposures are just going to look weird. Like I have way more hurt, Hertz than I would have. I have more Swift uh, than I would have. I think I was actually going to end up with around like 30% Swift. So uh, just keep that in mind for the show. But as far as the play goes, he was very, very clearly a, top option you had john you had uh williams ruled out an hour or so hour and a half before lock and it was just a situation where you already had what was a good play in swift uh he's been very involved as a pass catcher this year he's doing you know he's scoring a ton of fantasy points but then you take out his very competent backup that he to some extent splits carries with and it just gives you a situation where he's going to project a lot better so i think that was a spot where more casual players probably didn't really adjust it was just like oh you know i like swift more or whatever but you know not going out of their way. Whereas I think a lot of 150 max guys probably just redid their stuff and added a couple of extra points onto DeAndre Swift's projection, which really drove him up. So I'm looking at your exposures. I mean, yeah, I don't want to be reading too much into them, but if it's going to be cash, if you have like 30 or 40 lineups, I think is what you were kind of looking at that were duped. You're going to get the two cashiest running backs that are going to be at the top of your exposure board. The other guy being Daryl Henderson, 32.5% ownership on him as well. They were both fantastic plays. DeAndre Swift and Daryl Henderson, there's no way around it. And I think you talk about this all the time where you can play chalky plays. You just can't play all chalky plays around them. Right. Yeah, simple as that. So uh, we're going to make our way down the rest of the board here. Let's get to some wide receivers. We have here Chris Godwin there, uh, 24.8%. Cordell Patterson running back still, I suppose. Uh, That's just weird to say. Michael Pittman, 20.5%. So, Michael Pittman, a lot higher on 6% more in the melee than what he was on this field. I think that that talked a little bit about how Michael Pittman, I didn't know necessarily how to quantify him. I wish I had played way more than I did. Uh, but what did you kind of think about that play specifically? I thought Pittman was a really good play. The reason that I think he was higher owned than you would expect in the Millie and that you see such a drop off in ownership here. It doesn't have to do with Pittman. It has to do with the guys around him. It was a mm-hmm. position where when I did the show with Josh yesterday, we were talking about cash builds and I thought it was kind of just like a pick em between a lot of wide receivers in that price range. Pittman looked really good, but you also had T Higgins at 5,200. You had, 
there was somebody else in there. Uh, Jacoby Myers was in the same price range. I think there was mm-hmm. another receiver that I'm blanking on that was in there. Uh, Brandon Cooks was like 5,700. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, e- even like Robbie Anderson was 4,700. Not that, that he was great or anything, but uh, he was another option in that range. And then even looking like a little bit higher, you had Godwin, you had Keenan Allen that you could get to. Uh, there, there were just a lot of receivers in there. And I think that when you have sharper 150 max players making up a higher percentage of the field, you're just going to see them approach that a little bit more correctly than people are going to in the milieu where uh, they're going to just kind of latch on to one player a little bit more and, and kind of drive up ownership on that player. Whereas your better players are going to uh, understand that the range of outcomes for those guys is really similar. And that given similar ownership projections between them uh, and nothing, you know, that really makes one stand out over the other, you're typically going to want, you're typically it's just not a spot where you're typically going to choose to to make your stand like there's going to be spots on a slate where it's like I think the field is wrong here this guy looks really on their own typically you're not going to choose like a coin flip type spot to say uh I'm gonna have my night revolve around Michael Pittman beating T Higgins because it's kind of just you know it's it's pretty close to a coin flip so let's talk about Calvin Ridley so we get the news that he's a surprise inactive that he's taking a break and and Best of luck to him there. I know that's going to be some heavy stuff for him, but Kyle Pitts is sitting there at 17.2%. And I thought he kind of vaulted way up in tight end. I thought on FanDuel, he probably became cash viable instantly. Um, Not that he wasn't already, if you could get up to him, but thought Goddard or builds with, you know, going down to Friar Muth. I think some of those made more sense for cash over there on FanDuel, but on DraftKings where we actually have CSVs and we can actually review lineups, Kyle Pitts, 17.2% in the slant. You had 5.3%. So you were definitely uh, way below the field on that number. <clears throat> Rinpak as well, 1.3%. Nosimo, 4%. All three of them, super low ownership on Pitts. What was it that didn't have you going his direction? Uh, well, partly it was having 30 lineups with Dan Arnold. Um, at, you know, there you my, go. My cash, my cash train. Found but, it. But uh, it was also just from a roster construction standpoint, yeah, Pitts looked a lot better. But I still just thought you could build better lineups using cheap tight ends and just hoping to get that touchdown from Arnold or Fryermuth or whoever. Uh, you know, even Goddard was like 1,500 less expensive than, um, than than Pitts. But there was just a lot of those cheap tight ends. And, and on a slate where I didn't love a lot of the cheap receivers, you know, I clearly, clearly had a lot of Van Jefferson, but that was because he was in my cash lineup. Uh, I wouldn't have had nearly as much with my, my actual lineups. There wasn't a ton of wide receivers I wanted to pay down for. There were a lot of mid-range receivers I liked. Uh, I liked paying up for Cooper Cup. I liked, you know, a lot of mid-range running backs. It just seemed like um, it was worth it to risk not getting burned by a massive Kyle Pitts game as opposed to getting off of a lot of the mid-range receivers that I liked. Um, It kind of just reminded me of, you know, a lot of times you see on slates where, you know, Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey are clearly the top tight ends, but they don't get that much ownership uh, because – they it's still you know one or two players and you get this whole other field where like if Pitts goes out there at 6300 and scores what 22 fantasy points that's pretty good but there's a really good chance that a couple of those cheap tight ends are going to score like 13 to 15 and you're just Mm going to have an advantage over those 22 point Pitts teams because you have such better wide receiver and running back options yeah you can upgrade other positions and that is kind of part of punting with tight end you basically have one or two tight ends that have any kind of a a 30 point ceiling at any given time and man this season it has not come to fruition there's been a lot of 
tight ends that just simply get that touchdown, the Mo Ali Cox kind of situation or a Juwan Johnson or somebody who can come in at sub 1% and just outperform a Kyle, a Kyle's instant one catch. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of a fascinating one to talk about. Of course, Corderell Patterson uh, vaulted up to 20.6% at running back as well. He didn't burn anybody, 18.2, but that wasn't probably going to win you anything either in that spot. Dan Arnold, as you were talking about, 15.2%, the winner. Uh, Well, I can't wait to talk about this guy's winning exposures and just the way that he went about it, but we'll do that here after we go through some of the more popular plays here. I'm looking at Cooper Cup. 16.6%. 16.6%. I am shocked it was this low uh, of a number for him. I mean, he was going to be my highest owned player. I think no matter what, he was your highest owned player. I know because of exposures, but seems like everybody here at Osmo <clears throat> shit my money. You got Rinpak, you've got Osmo, you've got DeColts, either at the field or above on Cooper Cup. I mean, how do we not just jam him in every time that he's under 10K right now? Right. I don't remember exactly what I was supposed to have, but I think it was like 30 to 35%. So still way yeah. over the field. Uh, I thought he was a really easy play. I mean, the, the only real argument against him would be that you did have like that pretty solid mid range of receivers, but I didn't love paying up for running backs a lot. I, I kind of was comfortable in that like six to seven K range. Um, I was fine punting tight end. I thought cup was just clearly in a really, really good spot because you didn't have Devontae Adams on this slate. You didn't have Tyree Kill. You didn't have Hopkins. You didn't have these guys to pay up for around him that you normally have. So he was kind of just like at an on an island. But the biggest risk to his production is that the Rams just score their first three or four touchdowns by other means. But the thing with him is that he's still he's he's such a unusual combination of getting a lot of targets and converting a high percentage of them, but then also getting red zone targets and finding his way into the end zone. Uh, it, it, you know, a lot of times you get one or the other, and that's why the wide receiver position is typically so volatile is that your guys that are catching a lot of shorter passes aren't likely to be the ones also scoring touchdowns. And the guys scoring touchdowns typically are catching fewer of their targets because they're getting deeper routes. Cup is just, he does both. You know, you get guys like Devontae Adams to do both. Um, Cup is in that category from a fantasy standpoint where he's catching a lot of passes. He's very good after the catch, but then he's also getting, you know, targets around the the, the end zone as well. So um, I thought it was pretty unlikely that, that he failed. And I didn't think there was a lot of comp- competition for him um, as far as, you know, chances of success at the, at the position. I think um, we mentioned on the show yesterday morning that Cup projected six or seven points better than the next highest wide receiver. Yeah just insane amount of production and of course he wasn't the highest scoring wide receiver because we have a guy here that everybody was lower on so i'm giving everybody a pat on the back for cooper cup you know i felt good about that one i did not feel good about the fact that i had basically zero aj brown 34.5 fantasy points the most fantasy points here on the day uh one ahead of michael carter which again the boss man has been playing here repeatedly 12.7 percent out of michael carter there but looking at aj brown 34.5 you only had 3.3% rim pack. Nobody at Osmo here out of this core four of guys had over 5.3%. Do you think that that was a mistake or do you think that that's just kind of an outlier performance on AJ Brown with Julio out? Kind of neither. So I had actually specifically talked about Brown yesterday morning when Josh asked me uh, who, if anyone stood out as being like overly owned at wide receiver. And I said that I thought Brown was a very good play because it's AJ Brown. Like it's not, it wasn't a spot where I was going into the slate saying, you know, Oh, I feel really good that a bunch of people are playing AJ Brown and I'm not um, (laughs) because that's not really a very comfortable place to be (laughs) because he's pretty gigantic and pretty good at football. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get torched a lot. Um, It was just a, 
he was getting the ownership and he was at a price point where it was like, I preferred Cooper cup at similar ownership, even though, yeah, he's more expensive. But then I also liked that whole range of like five to six K receivers. It was just a spot where I was kind of willing to go to those other guys, go to Pittman, go to cooks, go to, go to cup, uh, go to Godwin. And sort of let the field have AJ Brown. And if he happens to go off for a massive game, I'm going to be in trouble. But if he doesn't, I really like where I'm at with that other group of receivers. So uh, it's one of those where I didn't, I don't think people that played AJ Brown were wrong. Like clearly he was a very, very, very good play. It was just that compared to some of the other options, um, it it was a spot where I either paid up for cup or I saved some money at, at the position typically. Mike White experience, my God. Do you have any feedback on Mike White? Is he going to be, I mean, is Zach Wilson going to be the most like highly paid rookie cup holder of all time now? Yeah, I mean, White's clearly the next Tom Brady. Yeah, that's that's one game and we're all done. Okay, cool. Um, Jets fans are irrational. Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about as far as some of the more popular plays that we have there? We covered both the major pieces of news that dropped right before the slate started. Uh, again, sharper fields are going to be reacting to that stuff a little bit more. I think the Washington football team made sense at 2100 uh, 2, at that tag to be able to just plug a lot of them in. And uh, I know that you had your cash stuff, so 33.3% there. But even Osimo, who uh, didn't have that, 30.7%, it made a lot of sense to just punt all the way down there in that spot. Seven fantasy points, pretty flat positions. So I, I, I get that. So I, I don't know if there's anything else you really wanted to touch on. Is there something that you're really noticing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you with Washington. Normally, I would point to any, like, 22% on defense and just say, like, that was stupid. But it was just such a weird – like, they were very, very clearly underpriced. And with it being a slate where you didn't have a whole lot um, that you could do to save money outside of, like, the tight end position, it just made sense to kind of just eat that and assume that, you know, they were going to – like, you weren't expecting them to win the slate for you, but it was just a matter of you could get so much other stuff into your lineup. So uh, that was, I thought – a more acceptable chalk defense to play than you normally get uh, outside of that. Nothing really that, that looks crazy. I mean, like Devonte Smith at 14%, I think makes sense when you consider that Jalen hurts was one of the best quarterback options. So you're kind of just getting him pulled up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing that really looks crazy to me. Otherwise. I mean, it was, it was like the exact same that Jalen hurts game was exactly what we just saw Lamar Jackson experience where he was mega chalk and you had, Devonta Freeman, you had Le'Veon Bell, you had Latavius Murray right. all run in a touchdown. And it's like, well, that could have just as easily been Lamar Jackson. And then he breaks the slate. Right. Exactly. I, I, yeah. It's yeah. Like just, it's, it's not a mistake. Right. And, and it's not that nobody should be surprised that Jordan Howard scored a couple of touchdowns and that, you know, basically it just went to a bunch of different running backs like that. That was clearly something that was talked about coming into the day and it was relatively expected, but it just goes back, you know, touchdowns are fluky. You shouldn't look back on, or you typically shouldn't look back if you played a quarterback whose team scores like 45 points and he has a disappointing game. You typically shouldn't look back and think that you made some huge mistake because uh, if the team is moving the ball like that and scoring that many points, a high percentage of the time, the quarterback is doing really, really well. Yeah, I think that's kind of going to be all we need to talk about here with the most owned plays here on the slate. Uh, we'll get to obviously individual exposure. See if there's some plays that you were higher on than the field. And again, this end van hair guy. Uh, wow. I don't know if I've ever seen a slant domination quite like this. I, oh, I don't wow. think there ever has been. I mean, we're, we're going to get there, but before we do just want to touch on one quick thing. And that is Osmo plus because it's the best content around. It's what Adam is using to win a zillion dollars a week. It's what Alex has used to win a zillion dollars over the course of his entire DFS career in every single sport. And right now, $29 and 95 cents 
gets you that weekly pass. It includes absolutely everything we have behind the paywall for every single sport. NFL, NBA is getting going. Hopefully you guys are checking out all of Adam's stuff for that as well. Check out his deep dive article. Check him out on the deeper dive almost every single day. I mean, the guy is just putting in a ton of work, helping you guys be successful as well. He's not selfish. Not only does he dominate, but he wants you to dominate too. And we can do that with the tools, with the advice we have here at Osmo. NFL showdown, all caps, one word, or sorry, NFL strategy shows what that is when that one's going to be. So that's NFL strategy show. Take advantage of that for 25% off. Use that promo and stop guessing and start winning. Uh, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. All righty, let's start talking a little bit of exposures. And I said, and Van Hare, I hope I'm saying that right for him because he deserves some respect on his name. The guy finished first. He finished second. He finished third. He finished fourth. They are all different lineups. Um, he didn't simply duplicate one and, and have a four-way split up top. Three of them were Brady. He had a Justin Herbert lineup at 15.82, finished fourth. He also just dominated this entire field for $44,000. It was only 20K to first. He cashed 100 of his 150 lineups. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody hit the, the dartboard in the dead center quite like this in this tournament. Yeah, it's really, really impressive. Really, really good day. Um, clearly doesn't happen often. So, uh, And then also, you know, seeing it be different lineups too. I mean, uh, three Brady lineups, one Herbert lineup, um, just a, a pretty solid tight. He, he played a lot of the same core pieces and then just rotated, you know, a couple of guys through. So, um, yeah, really, really, really impressive day for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I just had to put some respect on it because, I mean, we're looking at 50.7% Dan Arnold, his highest exposed play, and obviously he was cheap, 14.8. He really got there still for you. Uh, that worked out well. The Michael Pittman play, which I'm still – I don't even know how to analyze it because I don't feel like it was a mistake not being there, but maybe it was. He had two touchdowns in the first eight minutes of the game. I'm going to guess that that doesn't happen if you simulate that out 10,000 times that that's going to be something that duplicates over and over, but he was cheap. He was in that mid range. We talked about him already. Daryl Henderson, Cooper cup. You know, those were my two, two highest exposed players over on DraftKings. I think that both of them absolutely slammed and to have 40% plus of them uh, worked out really well. T Higgins a play. We haven't talked about. He was cashy. He was kind of cashy for absolutely everybody. Did he, I'm assuming based on your exposure there, 39.3%. He was in your cash lineup, right? He was in my cash lineup. Yeah. I, uh, well, he was in my cash lineup either way. Um, I did yeah. when, when we got the news, I made a very great decision. I went from Eli Mitchell, Michael Pittman, and somebody else to Patterson, Swift, and uh, Jefferson. So, um, yeah, I, I had an ugly switch in cash, but Higgins was in regardless. Okay. Well, yeah, he didn't he get really close. He had like a one yard. He was, he almost got in the end zone and that would have kind of changed the complexion of that play. Yeah. He was down to like the one. And I think he also yeah. had like 90 something yards. I could be wrong on that though. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, we've got that lineup there that uh, the Jordan popped up there for you. Tom Brady, Michael Carter, uh, Michael Carter's what, what an absolute smash here in this spot. 7.3%. Gave you a different look at running back as well, 4,900. I, I think that that's a play I had a little bit. I think I was right around 10% there. I know it's a guy that Alex has been referring to a lot. And sometimes when you get a completely different quarterback, you never know if they're going to be the next Brady. I don't expect Mike White to be anything remotely close to Tom Brady, but holy mother of God, he performed really, really well for one game. And, you know, Cooper Rush went into Minnesota and won a game last night, and you kind of felt that coming. I don't even want to talk about it. I hate football, but uh, here we go. 
I, I just think that that's a really nicely constructed lineup there. Uh, a phenomenal core, double stack with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin there at the top, 230.4. I mean, speak about that lineup there as well, because, I mean, for me, the big thing, getting that Eagles defense with 21, that's going to be just an absolute smash. And I think the, the slant is by far where the Eagles were the highest owned around the industry. Yeah, I think that the Eagles made a lot of sense because they were only $600 more than Washington. And like we were saying, you know, Washington was fine just because uh, they they have a pass rush. They were 2100 They let you get a lot of stuff in. But 2700 is pretty cheap as well. You have uh, the Eagles in a good spot also. Uh, they, they just, you know, at t- one-tenth of the ownership, basically. Um, yeah. It goes back to what we we're saying. Like, for a defense to actually make a difference, they typically need to score. And scoring is pretty fluky and not all that correlated to, uh, you know, this defense is good and playing a bad offense or whatever. So um, for, for a defense to really make a difference and be what wins you a tournament, uh, it's pretty fluky. So just rostering defenses that are cheap and low owned is typically a good strategy. Outside of that, it's just, you know, it's a really well-constructed lineup. You have Brady, Godwin, Evans. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, it's another situation where, I think Godwin was the better play, but uh, Evans ownership being as low as it was given Godwin's ownership is kind of weird just because uh, Evans is such a dominant red zone target that, you know, gives you a lot of touchdown upside. If you're expecting the Bucks to score a lot of points, Godwin, yeah, he looks better, but six to one ownership between him and Evans. I just thought Evans, Evans was a good tournament play anyway. Obviously didn't really get there, but um, the Brady plus Godwin plus Evans stack is a good way to get Godwin, but then still be a, relatively lower owned team because you have Brady at 5%, you have Evans at 4%. So you're, you're using a popular receiver that you think is good chalk, but you're using that and, and positively correlating with other parts of your lineup that are a lot lower owned. You also had positive correlation between Michael Pittman and AJ Brown. That looks really good. Obviously both of those guys did really, really well. Uh, Henderson was pretty self-explanatory. He was one of the more popular guys on the slate. Uh, mm-hmm. Carter was a solid pay down option as well. I think he had, there it goes. Yeah. I'll say, I think he had Carter. It's not uh, yeah. moving, but uh, yeah, Carter, you know, just a, a good pay down option. You're obviously not expecting 32 points from him, but at 4,900, he clearly had a, a path to success at that price point. Arnold was, I thought the easiest pay down option at tight end. So it's a really, really good example. I think of a lineup where you don't have to go completely off the board. Like everything here made a ton of sense. A lot of these guys were popular, but you mix in, a low-owned Eagles defense, you mix in a low-owned Evans and, and Brady, and you have enough, and, and Carter, you know, you have enough low-owned pieces there that guys like Henderson and Godwin and Pittman and Brown don't don't matter at that point as far as ownership goes. Yeah, and you also have the access, I mean, one play alone, like Michael Carter, 21.7%. It's pretty hard to miss on everything else in your lineup, and so you're probably cashing almost automatically if you – have remote chalk or, or any kind of a, a usable stack there kind of uh, leveraged in between it. But like going through his exposure, it's not like this guy was perfect. I mean, you, he was as about as close as you can be to perfect, uh, you know, finishing one, two, three, four, and obviously hit the dartboard really well there, but out of his hundred caches there, he still had 33.3% Deandre Swift, which is under the field, but that's a third of his lineups there. Jacoby Myers, him and Keenan Allen, I thought were phenomenal. Uh, a one, two play that was, one of my favorite tandems to, to kind of pair together in tournaments, Jacoby Myers, he had 32.7% of who didn't even put up 10 points. Keenan Allen, 26.7%. That's another 50% of lineups there combined. And then Kenneth Gainwell, we haven't talked about him. I love, 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 love. The one thing that I loved about your exposures, 
regardless of how they came about, was only 2.7% Kenneth Gainwell. I thought he was legitimately yesterday's worst play on the slate. How about you? I wouldn't say worst play. I thought that he was getting more ownership than he should. Um, I know, I don't know how much of him I was supposed to have. I do know I was supposed to have, like if I'd gotten my correct lineups in uh, 12% Carter. So I'm assuming that I was just using more Carter at the expense of Gainwell in that price range. I thought mm-hmm. Gainwell was fine. You know, he's, he's obviously had a role, uh, you know, with the Eagles already this year. So there was definitely a path to him just taking on a bigger role uh, without Sanders. And he's been involved in the passing game as well, which is really nice. But I just thought it was a situation where people were kind of not thinking about the ways it could go wrong, which were, there was a variety of them, you know, a split backfield made a lot of sense. Howard dominating goal line touches made a lot of sense. You have Jalen hurts potentially running, you know, getting goal line carries as well. It was, just he was a good play, but there were I thought um, you know at his salary, but there were just a lot of ways that went wrong, and it kind of seemed like people were um, ignoring those, while also just sort of pretending guys like Michael Carter and Eli Mitchell just you know didn't weren't very very similar. Yeah, Gainwell only twelve point eight percent in the slant, which I think he was around seventeen percent in the million. Um, you know, I had a couple entries in that, and I, I think that that was the number that I saw there as well, but. Chris Godwin, you know, looking at, at some of these other things, obviously Chris Godwin and having Mike Evans, having that stack together, that worked out really, really nicely. Tampa Bay, uh, Tom Brady going a little bit under own comparatively, just because you had such uh, smash uh, payups there. Matt Stafford obviously worked out really well. Josh Allen salvaged his day there at the very end, which was great. Uh, what a hero that was, but um, looking at this guy's exposures, I mean, it wasn't like he was perfect. So AJ Brown, uh, being over the field there is awesome. Michael Carter, uh, almost throw, well, he was three X the field there. That worked out fantastic. Jamison Crowder, uh, 17.4. That was still a really good play there in that spot. If you're expecting a, a new quarterback to come in, not have a, a very large a dot. I saw John Roy talking there in the chat. He said, watch for the Colts to make Mike white, throw the ball deep. Um, well, yeah, but also Jameson Crowder, we always know has been a low a dot guy and somebody that you know, makes really good breaks uh, off the line of scrimmage and, and just short routes. That's kind of what he's special at. And Michael Carter, we know he had the pass catching upside, but hadn't been there underneath Zach Wilson yet. So a different situation. I think both of them are probably still going to be fine going forward. So uh, as as long as that's kind of the game plan and and we haven't had, uh, we haven't had Jameson Crowder active here for a long time either. So I'm thinking that should be an interesting thing to keep track of, but Back to this, rounding it out, Eli Mitchell, another play that you kind of had touched, touched on here. Um, I want to group by your exposures, but I'm going to start with Rin Pack. Rin Pack. So he went from playing 100% Patrick Mahomes, 100% Jer- uh, uh, Josh Allen. We've been talking about him repeatedly with some of this stuff. His highest owned player was 26.7%, and it was under the field on DeAndre Swift. I think he was probably taking some of our lineup reviews a little bit to heart or something of that nature because – I don't really even know what to make sense of being this flat. He didn't really take a stand on anybody outside of Najee Harris, where, you know, he was four X the field there. Uh, Everything else is pretty flat. Do you have anything to take away from his exposures? My guess would just be that he thought it was a slate where there were a lot of sort of like coin flippy type plays, kind of like, you know, I was talking about at the the receiver position. Uh, He did take a big Mm -hmm. stand on Tyler Johnson as well as a pay down option. Um, He played a lot of of, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, but yeah, I think that, um, and I mean, I, obviously I don't want to speak for him and we have different strategies. Like I pretty, it, it's pretty unusual for me to like go as heavy on some games as I've seen him do. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I just think that in general, the way this slate shook out, um, it was one where I kind of expected my ownerships to be 
a little bit flatter than usual as well, just because there were a lot of, there, there were just a lot of very, very similar plays at a lot of different price ranges. Uh, so I thought that it was one where I, I was unlikely to take like massive stands on a lot of spots. I mean, he's one of the best players in the world. And, you know, I'm doing the Slate Starter podcast for NBA, one of the sharpest NBA guys you will ever find ever. Um, just inherently uh, giving of his time uh, to be able to kind of cover some of the NBA stuff every single night, uh, leading you into the slate before the strategy show for Josh. Definitely check that out here for us uh, at some point in time. So much fun to be doing that uh, second year around doing it with him here. But yeah, I'm, I am very curious just as far as like not taking a stand uh, on any of these guys. I get it. I mean, yeah, if you think it's every single slate is different and, and that's something that needs to be emphasized is that you're not going to have the exact same strategy for every single slate, but I, I think at a certain point, you probably want to find some, some other spots to, to take stands. Yeah. Tyler Johnson, completely unknown did, you know, 11.5, I think in the late slate, he was kind of a late slate hero there um, and kind of got there in that regard for, for a lot of lineups. So I know he was in the, the winning lineup in the $9 on FanDuel. Um, so it, it definitely is something that can work out there, but a couple of difficult plays to kind of rationalize there a little bit. Uh, the, the one that obviously stands out the most, you talked about a Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I, I know it was a 2014 total up against Washington and you're getting leverage going up against the most popular defense on the entire slate. If you're going to play a lot of Ricky seals Jones, which he did as well, I think maybe it makes some sense to, to kind of just attack that as an entire game stack, but, uh, anything else you want to kind of like talk about from his exposures? Yeah, one other thing too is it's kind of misleading. Like now that I look at it a little bit more, like he's flat. His exposures are flat in the sense that you know DeAndre Swift's his highest stone guy. He went pretty aggressively underweight on a lot of chalk, so he's actually overweight drastically on a lot of players here. Like even though you know his highest stone guy is twenty six percent, that was Swift. You know at basically half the field. Uh, he mm-hmm. was half the field on on Henderson. He was way under the field. He was like. 60% of the field on Washington. So when you're doing that, if you're going that aggressively underweight on chalk, a lot of times you're not going to end up playing anyone at really, really high ownership because there's no real reason to say, okay, well, I'm not playing Henderson. I'm not playing Swift and I'm going to play 60%. I don't know. Teddy Bridgewater, like 16% gets it done. You know, if Bridgewater had a big game, yeah. uh, you know, Rimpacks probably got every, he's got a lot of really good combinations around him, I'm sure. So like, you don't need to go that aggressive. Uh, so I think that, and, and like thinking back to some of the other spots where like, maybe he has gone heavier, like the Kansas city stacks. If you go hundred percent Mahomes, there's still so many ways you're creating those stacks, you know, Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, Mahomes, Kelsey, Hardman, uh, one man's two man's like, there's so many different ways that she's can go that it kind of uh, necessitates having a ton of exposure. Plus Mahomes projects really well, always. Uh, whereas here, you know, he, he's, drastically overweight on a lot of pretty risky options. There's no real reason for him to have like 30 or 40% of any of them. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, that's, that's a great way of putting that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense to me now, uh, not to be sitting here and, and picking up our rent pack again, one of the best players on planet earth. I just, you know, in full transparency mode, want to be able to discuss and, and be able to kind of rationalize some of the decision-making that goes into some of these plays and see if we can extract stuff for our play as well. We'll get to Osmo here in a second, but of course we are sponsored here today by No House Advantage. And if you haven't had the opportunity to play over there yet, it's prop-based games. It's peer-to-peer. You're playing up against other people here, but you're doing confidence spots. If you want to play in the Monday night, uh, if you want to play in the Monday night contest, which I, I strongly urge you to do, you simply have confidence slots, seven through one. 
You pick the props that you're the most confident in. You play them up in the seven-point slot. If you're a little bit confident in it, like in the four-point slot, and if you have no confidence but you think it's one of the ones that needs to be on the board, you play it at the one-confidence slot. That's how you construct your lineups. You're trying to get all seven right, but obviously the priority matters, so you get more points for the ones that do better on the top end. So take advantage of that. It's a really fun, easy way to play props. Over 500 props that they have available on the site at any given moment uh, makes them one of the largest providers of props in the industry. So uh, beat your friends, not the house. Win big with player props. That is the name of the game. And and please do check out. It's usually 5K, 2K to first that they're going to have available the $20 that they have for the Monday night and Thursday night events. Uh, definitely check out our sponsor and use promo code Osmo. That gets you a first match deposit bonus of up to $25. Take advantage of it now. And thank you so much to them for their sponsorship. We've really, really enjoyed partnering with them. So uh, let, let's just, you know, head over there and support them. All right. We've got next up Osmo taking a look at some of his stuff that he, that he had going. I was expecting a little bit more Michael Carter. That's somebody that I feel like I never in a million years would have been playing yesterday, even, you know, 10% had I not, Heard him repeatedly talk about being overweight on some of these jet situations. But DeAndre Swift, that was a huge bummer for everybody involved. The Colts, 74.7% there. But yeah, Osmo, 50%. Cooper Cup, Kenneth Gainwell, he was way, way heavy on. Uh, Washington football team, Daryl Henderson, Jalen Hurts. I guess we haven't really talked a ton about the quarterback position. Um, that, that might be a good talking point here. Jalen Hurts, his highest owned quarterback. I don't expect that, you know, Philadelphia goes out and, and beats up Detroit the way they did. And you're going to have many games where Jalen Hurts only put up 11.22. So I don't think that's a mistake. But is there anything you kind of took away from the quarterback position on Sunday? So I thought it was kind of a weaker position in general. You know, again, you were just missing a lot of the, the best quarterbacks. So that made Hurts look a little bit more appealing. But then also, I think when you like when you when you factor in DeAndre Swift looking like one of the best running back plays as well, it's going to just drive up exposures for a lot of good players uh on hurts too because it just becomes really easy to say okay hurts plus um plus Devonte smith plus deandre swift and you know or or plus goddard you know goddard was a really popular player as well uh it was just a situation where there were very good pieces in that game and so it made a lot of sense uh, i was actually kind of surprised i was i i intended on having, I think it was 21% Hertz. So I was a little bit closer to the field, but I was actually kind of surprised because typically I just end up sort of going contrarian at quarterback because um, I don't think that typically quarterbacks are going to beat you. It's the pieces that uh, you compare them with. But I think what it is, you know, like I was saying, I wanted to play so much DeAndre Swift, you know, Goddard looked good. Devante, uh, Devante Smith looked fine. Um, and then Hertz himself looked really good. So I think it just, it was at a point where he wasn't getting so much ownership that I was really worried about uh, getting there. And I thought he was a really good play. You know, as far as the rest of the quarterbacks, I thought Stafford was a really good play. Again, we talked about that yesterday morning. It's just like he, he gets some ownership, but he doesn't get nearly as much as you would think he would, given the amount of ownership that goes to Cooper Cup. You had it's just it kind of feels like people fall into the trap where it's like the Rams are huge favorites, but mm -hmm. they still are like they're going to score a lot of points. And you know, yeah, sometimes, sure, it's going to be just a bunch of rushing touchdowns for Henderson, and that's it. But Stafford's going to have big games pretty frequently, uh, you know, even if he kind of takes his foot off the gas in the fourth quarter. So I, I still think that in these games where the Rams are heavy favorites, people are kind of not playing Stafford as much as they should. They're also not playing Robert Woods as much as they should, um, on a side note. But I, I thought that he was a good quarterback option. Um, mentioned before, I liked Wentz a bit. I'm not sure who else I really played at quarterback. I, oh, I had a good amount of, of Herbert. I know you did, too. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, he was someone, 
Ugh, yeah, I, I had like 12% of him. Uh, that was a spot that I liked being overweight. Uh, I didn't know how easy it was going to be to get overweight on him because his uh, his receivers were relatively expensive as well. Mike Williams at 7,700. Uh, Allen was mid to high 6Ks, I think. But also having Jared Cook, Jared Cook as a $3,400 tight end at pretty low ownership made, you could use him as a value. You can then use a low on Herbert, and then you kind of can do whatever you want with the rest of your team. Plus, you also get those runbacks with like Aguilar or Myers. So, uh, I thought Herbert was a pretty good play that obviously didn't really work out. Yeah, with all the with all the cup, with all the Henderson I had, I thought it was going to be a massive day as I had a ton of Herbert and Allen, and I didn't see any way that they weren't going to try to get Allen involved coming off the bye week, coming off of getting embarrassed in Baltimore. He'd been kind of quiet here for the last five weeks, and. Sure enough, he played well and nobody else worked out and he didn't even necessarily have a a performance that you needed to have. So that entire game was a huge bummer to me. And I I would do it over again. I think Justin Herbert in that spot, I I still felt confident about it. And I didn't know how to necessarily analyze everything with the Pats. They've had a pretty cupcake schedule aside from Dallas who torched them for 440 plus passing yards. And then they played in a monsoon against Tom Brady uh, that I think probably held a little bit of Tom Brady's production down. Um, we also just got Joel Embiid ruled out uh, for today. So that ought to be an enjoyable conversation piece later. Yay. NBA definitely be checking out all of our programming that we have going later. We have oh, check this out. We have the Osmo betting show coming up at 1 PM Eastern time. We have at 2 PM Eastern time, the Osmo fantasy football show, at 3 p.m. Eastern time, the Yahoo NFL live show uh, with Pete McCarthy, and, and we'll find out who that other person will be there. We have at 4.30 p.m., we have Aton and LaMarca doing a deeper dive. They're doing the preview show for that. Then it's Lofty and Adam on the deeper dive at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., NBA live before lock. And then I will be on for NFL showdown live before lock at 7.15 p.m. Eastern time alongside Mr. Savoka and alongside Neil Orfield, uh, N.K. Orfield, who just wins all the time as well. So excited to get his expertise. He's been smashing showdown for NFL. So definitely be checking that out as well. And hit that like button, too, as we're kind of chatting here for a quick second. All right, let's hop back to the tournament. Let's hop back to breaking down a couple of these other plays. Um, I don't know what else needs to really be mined out from Awesome. I think he – let's talk to Evo Samuel because I don't – I I think I have a bias. I think I have a problem. And I think a lot of people have personal biases about players and the way that they perform and the way they get fantasy points. He's 6.3%. And the best comp I can have is, you know, two, three years ago, I had a blind spot with Allen Robinson. I had to admit it. I went to a lot of groups, a lot of support groups for it, had a lot of donuts and coffee. And now I'm somewhat okay, you know, and obviously now Allen Robinson sucked. So it's whatever. But Allen Robinson was basically playing underneath terrible quarterbacks. And he still put up tons of fantasy performances because he was basically a funnel here. How do we analyze Debo Samuel, which is somebody that Alex Baker was way overweight to, and the fact that he was just completely unknown because he keeps doing this week in, week out, and I'm over it. Yeah, I'm on the opposite side of you, kind of. Like, obviously, I only had like okay. 10% yesterday. Not sure. I, I probably would have had a little bit more, I guess, if I had gotten the rest of my lineups okay. in. But um, he's just someone like he's. I think they do enough to get, even though the offense isn't great and clearly they would prefer to run the ball. I think they do enough to get him the ball in space. And he is so good at making plays that I'm not overly concerned about it. You know, he's not, he's not someone that you know needs to be catching a bunch of 20 yard passes downfield from a mediocre quarterback to have big games. They're going to just get him the ball short. They're going to let him make guys miss and, and make big plays. They're going to use him around the goal line. So I think that, he's always a really high upside option 
And he's not typically that popular because he's priced in a range where you just have receivers that you can be more confident in. I mean, uh, he was, what, what was he yesterday? 60. 6.4%. Uh, oh, his price. 7, yeah. yeah 7, he was like 70. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like who in their right mind, unless, unless you have a good process that gets you to, you know, lower own guys that don't project quite as well as alternatives. Nobody's intentionally, or, or nobody is just looking at a $7,400 Debo versus a, $7,500 chase or a $6,900 AJ Brown and saying like, yeah, give me more Debo, you know, especially versus Brown, you know, obviously people are just going to go there and take the savings. So it's the ceiling for Debo was massive. The median projections a bit lower than guys around him. Whenever that's the case, you just naturally see that type of player not get that much ownership, even though the ceiling is still really high, even though the range of outcomes is pretty comparable. I think those are the spots that good players typically target. Uh, not saying like it has to be Devo. There's there's those kinds of spots all the time mm-hmm. at, at different price points. But um, it's just that that's why you want to have something in your process. There's a bunch of different ways that you can do it, but you want to have something that is not just saying, uh, okay, these are the medium projections. Like I'm just going to play a ton of the player that you know projects one point better than the player you know net than than the guy three hundred dollars more that you know is is one point lower projected because the range of outcomes typically is going to be very very similar and people as uh as dfs players get better as fields get sharper one thing that happens that you can take advantage of in tournaments and this is why i think even as cash games dry up um at different rates and different sports obviously but even as cash games dry up i don't think tournaments are going to get to a point where they're unbeatable because what happens is people are playing the best plays more often but there's still a percentage that those plays like should be played at and anything above that means that they're being played too too much as people get better projections they still don't necessarily have good processes to to use those projections and so you start to see bigger gaps between you know your aj browns and and debo samuels obviously aj brown did great yesterday so it's not the perfect example right now, but um, you just see that happen more often where, you know, five, five years ago, Debo would have been a worse play because AJ Brown would be lower owned and you could just play more AJ Brown, who was the better play between the two. But now as people make better projected lineups, you start to see that bigger gap and having a way to get to those Debo Samuel tight plays uh, just becomes really, really profitable. I'm going to have to play that over and over and over again all week and remind myself why I need to be playing Debo Samuel in life. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's amazing analysis. Uh, I, I just, I have a problem with it. I know a lot of people though run into these kind of situations where there's a player, you don't know what to do with them. And obviously the field didn't either. I mean, he's sitting there, you know, at 6% and he's number uh, PFF's number four graded wide receiver here on the season. Now, regardless of who's throwing him the football, he can make plays in space. So it doesn't necessarily need somebody to be accurate deep down the field for him to be effective. He can do it in a multitude of ways. By the way, also, this is fantastic. Check this out. Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Antonio Brown, Debo Samuel. They're the four highest graded wide receivers. Who is the tallest of the four? Who'd you say it was? So the top four graded wide receivers, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Antonio Brown, Debo Samuel. Who's the tallest of the four? Is it Cup? Cooper Cup is 6'2". He is taller than Devontae Adams, who's 6'1". Antonio Brown's 5'10". And Debo Samuel's 5'11". If you had made me put my life on it, I would be dead. Yeah, well, I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I'm pretty sure Cup is 6'2". Cooper Cup's 6'2"? What? Yeah, I, I knew he was tall, or tall-ish. Like, not tall for a receiver, yeah. but like 6'2". I, I, and then I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure none of those guys are 
are uh, I, I wasn't even sure if Adams was six foot. I was pretty confident. the other I two thought Adams was like six, three in my brain. Like I it, thought it, he was like a taller dude. Cause it he was between huge out on the field. It was between cup and yeah. Adams for me. God, Cooper cup, six, two tallest of them all DK Metcalf, six, three. We're not even going to go to number five there, but yeah, that was fascinating because <laughs> Cooper cup being taller than those three never would have guessed it. Antonio Brown definitely would have been the shorty on that end. And he is, um, what a, what a fascinating human being. But anyway, that was just my little aside there back to the exposures. You're rounding out everything here with the slant comparing ownership to the Millie maker. I think that that's an important exercise. See the play plays that 150 maxers that some of the best players in the industry that are playing in the slant every single week that are playing the 150 compare them and see the players that they're valuing a little bit more than the field. I always enjoyed kind of that process. We talked about Michael Pittman, how drastically different his ownership is, even just 6%. That makes a lot of difference in some of these tournaments. But um, kind of rounding things out here with the Colts, we've got for him, DeAndre Swift, that was really sad, 74.7%. Cordarell Patterson, 58%. That is a gigantic stand. I love it. I mean, Cordarell Patterson was somebody that I really liked yesterday as well. And again, he didn't win me anything, but he didn't burn me with 182 now we're getting into the DJ Moore portion of the program where you understand that if you're going to have a lot of Patterson, you're going to need a run back for a lot of those pieces. You're hoping that that game goes off. And we've, we, I, th- I think in previous weeks when you were doing the show with Josh and then with myself here also talking about that secondary correlation in your stack, is that something that you're targeting on fantasy cruncher coming in where you're like, I want to have these two paired together because obviously I'm going to have a lot of Patterson. I want to get to a lot of more. I personally don't, put that much emphasis into it. Um, it does for me kind of depend on what like stacking scheme I'm running. If I'm doing like quarterback plus one receiver plus one opponent, then I do like to have like a second stack in there just to add correlation to my lineup. But if I'm running like quarterback, two receivers and a run back uh, or even quarterback, two receivers, I don't care that much. It, it's more so, but it's more so, you know, as my primary stack gets less, uh, less heavy, I start to incorporate it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I, th- I think it makes sense. It's also something I think has kind of gotten overstated over the last couple of years where, you know, you just have more like review type shows and, and content um, and people just start to like make this a really big thing when I think it's, it's fine. Like, yeah, it increases the correlation in your lineup, but um, I, I kind of think it's just become like a huge talking point that isn't as big a, a factor as people kind of make it sound like. Yeah, I think that that's my opinion too, but I keep seeing correlations like this constantly. And again, yeah, it does increase it, but you kind of also need to look at them as standalone plays um, and and kind of the ability where, you know, DJ Moore going off is, is not necessarily, yeah, the game environment could increase and have that be better, but you have to factor in ownership. You have to factor in salary. You have to factor in so many other facets that aren't just the game going nuts. Yeah, and then there's different ways that games go nuts, too. Um, I mean, even just thinking about that Carolina-Atlanta game, you can have uh, Pitts do well, you can have Patterson do well, you can have Mike Davis somehow do well. Uh, you could have, on the other side, DJ Moore do well, you can have Hubbard do well, you can have Anderson do well. Like, there's there's still – I all, all things equal, I would love to have, you know, all of my – you know, sec, I, I'd love to have you know, all my lineups have secondary correlations. I just kind of uh, – I, I don't want – I don't want less of Debo Samuel because I have more Cordero Patterson. Like that's, that's where, that's why I kind of don't care about it all that much. I don't want, like if if I'm like forcing that rule, it's going to either 
make me have a lot of some dude on the bears that I don't want, or it's going to make me have a lot less Debo Samuel than I want. Just, you know, as, as a example that first comes to mind where you have like a very good low on the play and you don't really have anything else from that game that looks great. Um, so for, for me, like, yeah, cool. I, I like when I get lineups that have you know, DJ Moore plus Patterson, but uh, I also would like to just get, I'm perfectly fine getting, you know, standalone plays as well. All righty. Well, that is kind of going to be the analysis of the slant here for today. Do we want to do the hall of fame on the way out, Jordan Klein? Do we want to do that quick? No, we're not going to do that. We'll, we'll do the hall of fame on other shows here throughout the day. We have a bunch of winners to accumulate, to put together and, it's pretty simple what you're going to do with that. Tweet your wins to the at Osmo HOF account. That makes it super simple. And if you finish in the top three of any contest with over 5,000 contestants and is not split more than three ways, you'll win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. Super easy to do that. Take advantage of it. We've had so many screenshots. It's been awesome to see, but uh, that's the lineup review show. We're going to close like we always do with the worst lineup uh, on the board for the winner. Uh, that's kind of become my little nuanced take on it here. But we're looking at a guy who just got done cashing 100 out of 150 lineups. Would have been profitable from that alone. But, of course, he went first, second, third, fourth, which uh, good for him. But N. Van Hare, Sam Darnold, Eli Mitchell, Kenneth Gainwell, Chris Godwin, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson's zero, and I guess he got hurt too. Kyle Pitts, 6,300 there. DeAndre Swift and the Jets defense, 2,200, only put up four there on the bottom end. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a well-constructed lineup, a double stack here with Sam Darnold. Uh, you do have the run back with Kyle Pitts, and man, that did not come to fruition yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's a yeah well-constructed lineup, didn't work out. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, if you're someone that I, I think that's a really big piece of reviewing lineups, um, and I think there's a tendency for people to to kind of – mess up like if you're looking back at your lineups and you have a lineup like this where it didn't work out it did horribly but everything in there is good um you know you, you have the correlation with your uh you know you have the the double stack you have the run back with pits you have the gainwell plus swift uh pairing you have you know a good play and you have good one-offs in mitchell and godwin that's a very good lineup just because it did poorly you don't want to go back and be like oh uh, i need to change something i got sam darnold wrong like you have to understand that it's yeah. It's one game and, you know, as you really can't be that wrong on, on something like that. So uh, it, it's more, so you want to look, make sure your lineups make sense. Make sure you're not just running, like com make sure you don't have like a, a large percentage, large percentage of your lineups don't have like one just random dude that was ex extremely unlikely to do well. Something like that. Nico Collins. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, something like that, you know, you, you would want to go and say, okay, like I probably need to adjust something. If you're getting lineups like this and you had a bad week, like there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. I was reviewing some of my lineups before the show as well. And, you know, playing like the $3 playing the billion, whatever else. And I had a spreadsheet where Nico Collins, I had a rule against having, you know, LA making sure that I didn't have any runbacks with them, but then I didn't cancel out the rule and i ended up getting nico collins as my run back in like seven percent of lineups let's just say that was not an enjoyable experience he didn't actually burn me the way that i expected it to happen but uh it was maybe the worst playable time just wanted to round that out again full disclosure we all screw up sometimes uh damian harris i i know was a mistake and a regret uh hashtag no regrets for for adam over there um, from last week. And, and for me this week, just kind of, uh, you know, maybe having less James Robinson, I don't really know how to factor in the injury aspect of it, but there are mistakes that are made and no AJ Brown. That was a huge mistake. I think for me, I think there was still upside where I should have gotten to some, but 
That is going to be the recap show for us. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Smash that like button for us. We have tons of other content. I, I ran through it a bunch, but NBA Deeper Dive, NFL Showdown Live Before Lock, very important you guys check those out. Hit subscribe if you're not, because uh, you want to be hanging out with us, talking all of things DFS every single day of the week, content going all the time. Thank you so much to Jordan Klein behind the virtual glass. He was running the spaceship here, uh, clicking on everything over there in the line of review. So uh, much appreciated to him. He's Adam. He's uh, crushing DFS. I'm Eric. I'm going to go crush a breakfast burrito once again. We'll see you later.